This is The Blood Doctor Show. At 2.48 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And um, I'm coming to you in the middle of the night because a few reasons. Number one, basketball playoffs start in the morning. I want to get all my picks on the record before the games actually start. Number two, playing games ended tonight. So we got to talk about those as well. And also, I went to see the movie Ambulance after those playing games ended. And I want to talk about that as well. So that plus a couple of football topics. Uh, I'm not going to edit out any late night uh, mistakes here. Because again, it's almost three in the morning. So you're just going to have to deal with me being imperfect. That's how it is. But those things will be the topics of this episode. We got it pretty well laid out. And uh, the question will be, you know, what quality of podcast can I produce at three in the morning when I'm running on limited brain power? Uh, as we discussed before previously, I was running on limited brain power due to alcohol. So at the very least, it should be at least good as most of my terrible episodes and maybe slightly better. So I think we'll be fine. Before we go too far off track, let's just not go off track at all. And let's just start. I'm just going to go with these in order um, of, I believe this is just the order of when the games are played. Um, I pull them down one at a time. So, you know, let's just go through series by series. And we're going to talk about, you know, what we think. This is a really tremendous intro I'm doing right now. Again, I'm really, it's three in the morning. I'm, I'm, this is going to be a rough episode, folks. I'm sorry. But let's go through it. Episode one. Episode one. Game one. Whew. This is rough. This is episode 71, so maybe that's where that came from. I don't know. It's rough right now, folks. Game one, series one, Jazz and Mavericks. And, you know, the thing about this one is I think that pretty much everybody has the exact same take on this series at this point. As of right now, we know that Luke is not playing in game one. And we all know that the Jazz situation has been precarious over the last few years because they keep flaming out in the playoffs. And it's been that way. You know, dating back to Gordon Hayward, they got the one playoff series win against, you know, a, a Clippers team that wasn't complete. It did have Chris Paul um, and it did have DeAndre Jordan when he was still decent. So, I mean, it's fair enough to say that that was a quality series win for the Jazz, but it is nonetheless one series win. Um, you know, my friend Keith, who's come on the show several times, he and I have talked about a lot. We joke, we make fun of the Jazz just because, you know, their rebuild was the Suns and Jazz rebuild, you know, started roughly at the same time. And I'm talking about, um, you know, the post-Nash Suns rebuild and kind of the, you know, the post-Al Jefferson uh, Jazz rebuild as well, you know, way back when. Um, and, you know, the Jazz were doing better for a long time than the Suns were. You know, the Jazz found ways to, you know, stay competent across years with, you know, various players. Uh, you know, again, they, um, you know, developed Gordon Hayward, uh, then they had developed Donovan Mitchell. They were still making the playoffs when the Suns weren't. And, you know, now we've leapfrogged them. And the Suns um, have, you know, been to a finals and are now a top contender for the finals. And the Jazz are just still kind of, um, you know, where they've been. Just, you know, typical first-round exit kind of team. Um, and the simple fact of the matter is, is, again, I think I don't think I'm – I mean, Zach Lowe went on the jump and said, uh, you know, Luka injured or hobbled – the Jazz have to win this series. And Tim McMahon has said several times that the Jazz get bounced early. There's going to be big changes in Utah. So, you know, I mean, all of that pressure on them, I wouldn't actually be shocked if the Jazz blew this series. I'm still going to pick Utah just because Luka's hobbled and Luka is all of what Dallas is. And this is the problem, by the way. When you build your team around one player and your whole team is that one player, and you just have this sort of heliocentric system where everything revolves around them and they're the sun and the rest of the players in the team are planets in a solar system. You know, if that sun is destroyed, then every, you know, all the other planets die. There's no oxygen or light to feed them, you know, because you've just destroyed what makes everything work. The suns are not a one player team. Dallas is a one player team. And, you know, luckily for um, the Jazz, they too are not a one-player team. You know, they have Donovan Mitchell. They have Rudy Gobert. 
Um, you know, they have some nice pieces around those, but they have at least two players that you could certifiably call, you know, at least star level. Neither of them are as good as Luca, but they're still a two player team. So they could withstand something and the Mavs are just done. That's the thing is if, if Rudy Gobert got injured or something, you wouldn't think that the jazz are, are done. Um, but with Luca out, you know, it is what it is. And this is just the reason I mentioned the Suns a minute ago is because this stuff just drives me crazy is, you know, people will put up Luca's stats and he has like the highest usage rate in the league. If you give him the ball every single play, you know, he's going to have incredible stats. And I think that sometimes people forget that usage is a big part of his number. I'm not saying Luca isn't a great player, but I mean... This this is the whole thing is you give him the ball every play, you create these incredible regular season numbers, and then something goes wrong in the playoffs because the whole idea is flawed. You can't be a one-player team. And this is why, you know, I, I keep hearing people be like, oh, the the well, the Mavs might beat the Suns. The Mavs might beat the Suns. They, they have the best player on the court at all times, blah, 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 blah. Like, number one, Luka is terrible against the Suns. DeAndre Ayton fucking owns him. And number two... It's just, again, you can't build your team around one player. And again, I'm talking about this theoretical matchup because I'm tired and I didn't segue that well. But the point is, everyone kept saying, oh, the Mavs could come out. And even if Luka was healthy, I just I, that, that stuff is nonsense. And the fact that he's not means we won't even get to see a theoretical Suns-Mavs matchup because yet again, the Mavs won't be out of the first round. The Jazz are going to win this one. They just will. Um the Jazz are incredibly flawed in terms of playoff basketball. We all know, we all know, like, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I'm not saying anything anyone doesn't know. We know the Jazz are flawed. We know the Mavs are flawed. You know, this is two flawed teams playing each other. The difference is that the Mavericks don't quite view themselves as a, we're competing for a title this year team. Like, they would love to compete for a title this year, but you can't realistically come into this season with this roster and tell me, you know, we're a title team, especially when you trade Porzingis halfway through the season for, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Like you can't tell me, oh yeah, we know we're a title team. We know we're a title contender. You know, you don't feel that way. No one feels that way about you. And that's fine. Utah needs to be a title contender. It's been too long on this treadmill. And with all the Quinn Snyder Laker rumors and all these other things, it's just a really stressful situation, but you know, they're going to get they're going to get out of it at least for this first round because of what's going on with Luka. The really interesting thing for Utah is that with Luka being hurt, this series win has like no value. There is a scenario in which everyone loves to talk about last year the Mavs Clippers series in which Kawhi and Luka both you know went supernova and uh you know Kawhi's heroics were enough to move on uh, and Luka's weren't. Um, and there was a scenario in which, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Luca go back and forth in sort of a similar way. Obviously Donovan Mitchell is not the defender that Kawhi is, but there was a scenario where this series became sort of legendary ish and winning. It might mean something for Utah in terms of not breaking up their core. But the thing is now winning this series won't be enough. You're gonna have to win the second round too, because winning this series is not going to be enough for Utah to prove that they've taken a step forward because Dallas just has an incomplete team. Like, I'm sorry, but you know, Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie and, you know, Dwight Powell and, you know, Dorian Finney Smith and all this stuff. Like these guys are not gonna, you know, that's not their quality role players, glue guys around the star player, but they're not going to win this series. They don't have a chance in this series. Utah is going to get it done. I think it will probably be like a gentleman sweep. Even if Luca plays, so I think we're looking at like, yeah, like 4-1 Utah. But again, it just won't matter for Utah. This would have been a series that would have made you think, well, hey, they just shut down Luka. You know, maybe we consider stuff, especially if they gave a, a good showing in the second round. But now they got to win the second round. Otherwise, Danny Ainge is going to tear the team apart. And I just think that that's a really interesting situation. The Wolves and Grizzlies series is actually a really interesting one because, um, you know, the Grizzlies are kind of the everyone's like, oh, my sleeper team is the Grizzlies. They could come out of the West. I know I, I said a similar thing about the Mavs. Those are really kind of the two teams. People love John Morant. They love Luka. Well, they love the whole Memphis roster. Um, but, you know, people keep talking about Memphis. They're incredible. They've won all these games without Jaw. 
you know, you can go listen to a million podcasts. Anyone who's gone and looked at the teams that, you know, that Memphis team played whenever Jaw was out, you know, they played a, the soft, 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 charm and soft schedule. Okay. So those wins, while impressive, it is always impressive to win without your star player. Um, they are not nearly as impressive as the record looks. And given that the amount of time that Jaw has missed, missed recently, I don't, maybe he's 100%. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a Memphis Grizzlies insider. But my thing is this. Everyone has basically written the wolves off in this series. Well, we know Memphis is going to win. We know the Grizzlies, blah, blah, blah. You know, all that kind of stuff. I'm just really not so sure about that. This is a first round series, which means it's going to be less of a slow, everything down, grinded out series. There's going to be a lot more excitement, a lot more up and down. We know how well the wolves can shoot. And if Ja is not 100%, And, you know, the Grizzlies want to get into a we're going to run up and down the court thing. The Wolves are well prepared to play that game with them. And so I feel like everyone's just going to pick the Grizzlies, Memphis, Ja, you know, Desmond Baines. I really feel like the Wolves are well suited. And I think the Wolves are going to pull off this upset. If Ja was 100%, I would probably feel differently. Um, And I know that the Wolves are still kind of figuring things out. But this to me looks like a classic... 2-7 upset where the 7 team is just a bad matchup. We know that Memphis is not really a great shooting team all over. I mean, Bain is incredible, but they can struggle to generate offense at times in the half court and things like that. The Wolves just have so much talent, as as does Memphis, but I think we're just forgetting... And D'Angelo is playing like a star right now. If D'Lo plays like a star, and Ant, we all know, we love Ant, man, right? And everyone loves Towns. So I'm, I'm taking the Wolves in this series. And it's just because I think the Wolves are a bad matchup for Memphis because, A, if Memphis wants to run, the Wolves can do that, okay? They can play that game with them. So the whole, like, you know, we're younger, we have the young legs, you know, I think that Memphis can play that game with them. Or excuse me, Minnesota can play that game with Memphis just fine. And I think that Minnesota has the ability to, in a couple of games, just bomb Memphis out of the gym because they've got three guys who might score 35 and hit 10 threes. And those things are just so invaluable, especially in a first-round playoff series where, again, there's so much energy. If this was the conference finals somehow... I think I'd be picking Memphis because the defenses would be way more locked in. They'd have more information about each other. Guys would be exhausted. I think I'd be much more apt to take Memphis in a situation where there had been a lot of grind on them already. And maybe Memphis just kind of held out jaw to make sure he's a hundred percent and he's going to go supernova and arrive to the stage. Absolutely possible. I'm taking Minnesota because I just think that at this time, This is a bad matchup for Memphis. And I think that Minnesota is hot right now. I think that that building is explosive when you're in it. And I just, I just think they're a bad matchup. And now go, let's go see, watch fucking the Grizzlies will sweep them. But um, I just really think because of that youth, because of the ability to stick with them, they can kind of do all the stuff that Memphis wants to do, but they're a better shooting team or if or if, if not necessarily a better shooting team, a more explosive shooting team. I mean, Desmond Bain is maybe the best shooter on either team. It's just, it's hard to say. So I, I just, I'm going with the Wolves. I'm picking the Wolves to pull off the upset because I think at this point in time, they're a bad matchup for the Grizzlies. And that's that's where I'm at on that one. Uh, I You know, I think both teams have really good coaches. I think that the Grizzlies have had a hell of a season. I just think the Grizzlies are a little bit ahead of schedule. And the Wolves were kind of behind schedule, and now they're catching up a little bit. And, you know, Memphis is so smart. They may be able to watch how how um, Towns was kind of fouled out the other night by um, the Clippers, and maybe they can utilize that. You know, maybe they'll try to, you know, get under his skin and do some of the same stuff. But, you know, this is the opportunity that Towns has been looking for to step up and prove 
you know, that he is the man. And this is the opportunity for D'Lo that he's been looking to prove that, you know, he's not an empty calorie scorer. And, you know, Anthony Edwards is awesome and we know that. So I really love this series. I think this is going to be one of the most fun series. And I just kind of believe Memphis is not quite as good as we think they are. And I'm, I'm picking Minnesota to pull the upset. Raptors and 76ers. This is one where I thought about it for a little bit and I wanted to pick the Raptors to pull the upset. But in the end, I mean, this is a really well-coached team with a lot of good talent against one of the best players on the planet, a middling former best player on the planet, and then a group of decent other players and a formerly great coach. I don't know what's up with Doc anymore. Like, I used to be a person who thought Doc was one of the top five coaches in the NBA. And I definitely believe there was a time that he was. But I think that some of, I mean, the game hasn't passed him by or anything. I just think he's stubborn a little bit in some ways. Um, And I think that there are certain things that Doc needs to open his mind up to a little bit more. I mean, he's always been old school for sure. Um, you know, we know how, you know, Doc views the game uh, and especially his time as a GM was, you know, that was old school in terms of only signing players who were good in the 2009 playoffs, you know, even as late as like 2015. But, you know, Doc, the coach is, you know, he's set in his ways. It's, you know, I would love to see more of like, a. I, I would love to see, let's implement some of the old school Suns offense with Harden and Embiid. And it's not that they haven't run pick and roll and things like that, but you know, there's just a lot of watching the 76ers feels like work. Like it's a lot of work to get buckets. And sometimes the Harden and Embiid thing works so well that it's easy. Like in the first few games against the Knicks and Minnesota, when Minnesota was still really struggling, even though they were on a a good streak at that point, but you know, they're still defensively not so great. You know, Harden and Bede, that whole thing was they were dominating and it looked incredible. But you know, we've all seen what Doc does at times too, and his, you know, his rotations can get confusing. And I say all this to say that I don't think that Doc is a bad coach. I just think that he hasn't really done a great job in the last few playoffs. And since the Celtics won the title. And then, you know, when they got back to the finals and lost to the Lakers and, and, you know, essentially since he left for the Clippers, he's blown so many series leads and blown so many situations. And, you know, you can call it the curse of Chris Paul in the old days when he was, you know, now that we're going to break that curse this year with the Suns, by the way, you can call it whatever you want. But Doc has coached a lot of teams that have come up short and, you know, it just remains to be seen. Like, like one of the one of the biggest things in the wake of the Harden and Bead trade for a little bit was like Tyrese Maxey was able to score a lot, and it was like freeing him up to do all these things, and it was kind of a cool little unique innovation, but it also is sort of like Harden is being so he doesn't look like himself. And maybe he's hurt, but like Maxie's got to go to the rim all the time. Harden's not going to draw fouls at the rate that he used to. Like, it's hard to discern if there's a slight disconnect or if Doc Rivers and, you know, James Harden are not seeing the game the same way or if, you know, again, maybe Harden is just not quite healthy. It's difficult to say. So it's a little shaky. And you can, I, I, I feel like I'm rambling about that for a very long time. My point is, you can put all those things together and you can see a scenario in which the Raptors do upset the 76ers in the series. You know, we love Scotty Barnes. Siakam has returned to, you know, being at times an all NBA type player. He's still inconsistent, but, uh, you know, this year, I think Siakam, he's always been a guy who kind of impacts the game in a lot of ways. But this year, you watch Raptors games sometimes and, I've watched a few games in particular where he could not score. He just couldn't hit a shot. So he just got to the rim over and over, draw fouls, made plays for other guys. 
he's always been a cool playmaker, but I feel like now he's taken that part of his game to another level. Um, and so you can, there, there's an avenue where the Raptors pull this off, but you know, Embiid is playing like a top three player in the world right now. So anytime that you got the best player on the court, typically you want to choose those players in a series. And given how much, there's so much creativity to the Raptors offense, but they're relying a lot on a rookie in Scotty Barnes. You're, you do, it is still James Harden, even if he, maybe he's been just, you know, not, it's still James Harden and Joel Embiid until otherwise, until we see Harden just suck through a playoff series because he was great in the playoffs last year until he got hurt. So until we see, and I know that his history is whatever, but until we see like, if, if he just goes through this, this series and he's averaging 12 and seven and just doesn't look like James Harden at all, then, then it's a problem. But until we see that kind of happen, I'm, I am still going to go with the two veterans, the two superstars who can get a bucket at any time. And one of whom is, you know, a defensive player of the year type who just led the league in scoring. You know, it's it's hard to pick against the 76ers in this one, so I'm not going to. But I think this is a six or seven game series. I don't think the Raptors are going to make this easy. I'm going to call this 76ers and six. I don't think they're going to make it easy on Philadelphia. Um, But I think Toronto is a year away from, you know, getting out of the first round. The Nuggets and Warriors one is interesting because it's honestly just it's it's like health. Whoever is healthiest gets through it. I don't know. I mean, it, it it's such a you just don't know how to. It's a very difficult thing to figure out with this series, because honestly, if Steph Curry is hurt, it's really difficult to see the Warriors, you know, getting through this series. But if he's Steph, then. It's difficult to see the Nuggets getting through this series. And it seems that he's probably going to play. He's probable for game one. So he's likely to play. But the Warriors have just been so up and down with health all year. And, I mean, Jordan Poole's been amazing. And they've been able to piece together a really good season anyway. And, you know, it seems like they're getting healthy now. But it's just, it's hard to say. And with so much, with so much, you know, back and forth, um, on that, it just, it makes me uneasy. So again, um, I'm going to take the, the, the nuggets on this one. I just think Jokic is again, one of the best players in the world right now. He's, you know, an unstoppable force. And, you know, quite frankly, the Warriors don't really have anyone to stop him. I don't know that there's anyone that can really stop Jokic. Um, but if Steph doesn't really go supernova, you know, it's hard for them to, win seven game series and it's very possible that he does and everything is fine but I'm going to take the nuggets in this one because I just think Jokic is good enough to to drag a team when he is 100% and when the Warriors are not 100% and are not themselves you know they're just going to be off a little bit so give me the nuggets in this series it's you know it's just purely uh this is a little bit of you know this goes against what I said about the you know, I said, you know, the Mavs are heliocentric and the Suns aren't and, I, you know, and then blah, blah, blah. But the Warriors whole team has been hurt. You know, Steph, Draymond and Clay, you know, they've, they've all been hurt for extended periods this year. Obviously, you know, <clears throat> Clay's coming off the major injury. Um, so it's just hard for me to like, are they if if the Warriors were 100 percent and I knew that, then I'm picking them running away. But if they don't quite have it. And it's going to be really close. Give me Jokic to put the Nuggets over the top. And that, and that's just kind of where I'm at. I think Jokic is good enough to like a Doncic or an Embiid, you know, win a series, especially a first round series on his own. And I think the other thing about it is that the Nuggets and Warriors match up well enough that, um, you know, the game can be... Um, you know, fairly close because, you know, the Warriors are not that big. So, you know, the fact that, you know, the Nuggets have Jokic, they've got Aaron Gordon still, you know, they're going to be able to hang with the Nuggets for the most part, or the Warriors for the most part. The Nuggets don't have a lot of great defenders. 
and it will be difficult. And there probably will be a couple of games where the Warriors bomb them out of the building. But I think there might be a couple of games in Denver where they bomb the Warriors out. And I think this will be a close series. I'm going to take the Nuggets. The Hawks and the Heat series. I mean, I've said this on Twitter before. Trey Young is that dude. And I said on this podcast early in the week that he was going to win in the play-in because we know what he does on a big stage. We've seen Trey do it in the playoffs on a big stage. We've seen him, you know, guide a team that had no business being in the conference finals to the conference finals. And, you know, I think that people think, oh, well, you didn't make the NBA finals, blah, 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 blah. Anytime you make a Final Four scenario in a major sport, you are an incredible player. If you are the best player on a Final Four team, you are an incredible player. Because when you reach that level, you have a chance to win. Anything can happen when you reach that level. And, you know, being the leader of a conference finals team does mean something and does show something, especially, you know, if they beat Philadelphia. That was no joke. And all those things being said, I would love to pick the Hawks to win this series. And, you know, it's going to be awesome. Trey Young is going to be fun, blah, blah, blah. But I've also said this many times before. Eric Spolstra is, you know, one of, if not the best coach in the league. I'd say Monty is the best coach in the league at this point. But Eric Spolster is right up there. Um, you know, we know what Spo has been able to do. We know what, you know, he's gotten out of teams that, you know, were less talented. You know, Spo is the absolute definition of a guy who gets more than the sum of the parts of his players. You know, Miami is well known for player development, well known for, you know, finding ways to get players when, you know, no players are available or whatever. And, you know, they found their way to this top seed with, you know, winning a lot of games with dudes that, you know, quite frankly, some of us had never even heard of, or most of us had never even heard of. So we know what Miami can do. And as much as I love what um, Trey Young's capable of, Collins and Capella hurt. You don't know what the situation is at this moment. It's just really too difficult. Now, you know, the Heat have been hurt all year. They haven't had their core guys a lot together. It's going to be interesting to see how it all factors in. And, and this series may go on a little bit. We could have a long first round this year. Um, but, you know, this is this is a Heat win. Um, and the other one, by the way, I'm going to take Nuggets and seven uh, in here. Uh, I'll take uh, Wolves and six, by the way, over Memphis. So there's those. And then... Um, you know, I think the Hawks will probably gentlemen sweep or be gentlemen sweep by the Heat. It's just, you know, you've got so much veteran talent on the Heat that knows what they're doing. And, you know, Bam is such a good player. Jimmy's such a good player. Kyle Lowry still uh, brings so much to the table. And, you know, I mean, mixed opinions on Tyler Hero. He's a good player. Duncan Robinson really hasn't had a good year, but they found other shooters who, you know, have done the job. And, you know, it only takes one game for you to light it up to, you know, really turn it on again and for the faucet to start pouring. So, you know, Miami, you know, we know they're kind of nicely built for the playoffs. We've seen what they've done. Give me the heat in this series. The Nets and Celtics is interesting because, you know, the Nets are kind of a playoff paradox, okay, because they have two guys that can get a bucket at absolutely any time. Absolutely anytime. That's what KD and, and Kyrie are, is just walking buckets. And you need that in the playoffs, especially late in the game. You've got to be able to have a guy who can just get the job done. Okay? Uh, there, there's just there's no question about that. You just need a dude who says, I'm going to get a bucket. They got two of those. And so in a situation like the playoffs, you say, hey, you know, the Nets are well set up. They run their offense. They can get a bucket in half court and clutch moments. That's big. But the other thing you need in the playoffs is defense. And the Nets have precisely none of that. Kevin Durant is a really good defender. He, he really is. But, you know, he can't play elite defense 48 minutes a night and carry the offense and do everything else. He, you know, they ask KD to do too much. And the Nets simply don't have enough defense. And I know much hay is being made about, you know, the whole Robert Williams things with the Celtics. And it's understandable. But... The simple fact of the matter is the Nets just don't have enough defense. And until they resolve that problem, you can't go far in the playoffs. Now, does Ben Simmons come back game four and suddenly magically transform their defense? I doubt it, but maybe that's the idea. Um, 
you know, I, I think Brian Windhorst always says, you know, the Nets' chance of winning games is 140 to 135, and that's fair. But the Celtics are an elite defensive team with or without Robert Williams. And in the playoffs, that just matters. It matters less in the first round typically, but if you're giving me a team that has a good offense and a good defense versus a team that has no defense and an all-time offense, when it comes to the playoffs, I'm taking the defensive team, especially given what we've seen this year from adjustments from Ime Udoka and what we haven't seen this year from adjustments from Nash. Everyone was praising Nash as one of the best coaches in the league. I didn't see it or understand it. I still don't. I he's It's questionable. Uh, he's okay, whatever. Uh, Udoka has really gotten a lot out of this Celtics team, and I love what I've seen from him, and I'm going to take the Celtics. This has got to be a seven-game series either way, so give me the Celtics in seven. Um, this is a big one for Tatum. And this is a big one for Brown, too, but this is a really big one for Tatum because, you know, this is the whole... I mean, I think KD is the guy that he's basically compared to most at this point. And, you know, I think the best possible case for Tatum is KD, which obviously is high praise for Tatum because, you know, KD is, you know, potentially top 10 all-time player type. So for Tatum, this is a big series to go toe-to-toe with KD and show what you're capable of. Show that you're capable of defending him at an above-average level and scoring 30 a night. This is a big one for Tatum. This is a big series. This is, for Tatum, this is the potential to really rise to, you know, that sort of all NBA top 15 kind of player level in the minds of everyone. He's he's played like those players, but, you know, this is the potential where, you know, those people who love Jimmy Butler or whatever might stop looking at Jimmy and putting him above Tatum and, you know, start putting Tatum above him. Like, this is a big, a big year for Tatum. A lot like last year was a big year for Booker. This is this is a really big series for Tatum against KD. This is a chance to really show he's a star, and I think he's going to do it. The Bucks versus the Bulls. It's really too bad um, that the Bulls were you know so injured because you know they had the number one season for so much of the season and they deserved it. I mean, if Levine and Caruso were a hundred percent, and Lonzo Ball was back, I would honestly think that the Bulls actually have a really good shot of pulling this thing off because. You know, the Bucks don't have depth. Um, you know, that's the thing that's really been kind of killing them this season is, you know, they just don't have even as much depth as last year. Um, and they weren't, you know, a very deep team last year, but they still have more than they do now. And so if the Bulls were 100% healthy, I would think they honestly had a really good shot of pulling that off. Um, I'm not sure they're a great matchup for the Bucks, but they have they just had so much more depth, so many good defenders I think they would be able to find a way. The problem, of course, being, I don't know how you slow down Giannis, but they had enough defenders to basically stop everyone else, and Giannis can't score 100 a game. Um, but now they're not healthy. You know, Lonzo is probably not even going to play. It's just a difficult thing to see. I think they're going to nab a couple of games. I could even see this going seven, but the Bucks are going to win this series. Um, the Bulls are a great story. DeMar has been awesome. I think this has been a really nice season for them. But unfortunately, uh, you come up against the champs and, you know, their legendary all-time player. And, you know, this is how it goes sometimes. So, um, you know, again, give me the bucks in that one. Um, and then, obviously, Suns, Pelicans. We all know my pick, Suns and four. Good for the Pelicans, though, man. Let's talk about the Pelicans for a minute because they started like 1-20 or some ridiculous shit. And, you know, Willie Green, shout out, former Suns assistant, could have been in trouble. Uh, you know, the players could have packed the season in on them, but no, they kept going. They fought their way to the play-in. They made it through the play-in. Now they're in the playoffs. Um, you know, the CJ McCollum acquisition, I think, has to be great as a success. They acquired him to make the playoffs, and they did it. So I don't think there's any way that you could look at that and say, oh, that was a bad idea. And I think that, you know, if Zion is ever really able to play and make an impact again, you know, the offensive force that the Pelicans will be is certainly going to be very interesting. They like the Nets. We'll have no defense, but you know, you solve one problem at a time. Um, the Pelicans don't have a chance in this series. Uh, you know, the Suns have worked them every time they've played. It's this is a cool upstart story, good for the Pelicans, but the Suns are you know more veteran players, more talented, deeper. The Suns are just a better team than the Pelicans, and that's just you know what that is. Um, Suns and four. I think we all know I was going to pick that. So that is the first round. Um, You know, shout to the Clippers. Couldn't quite get in. Um, 
you know, Paul George obviously missed the game today due to health and safety protocols. And that really, you know, changes how you view this Clipper season potentially because they could have made it. But, hey, it is what it is. Um, and shout to the Cavs, too. My boy, uh, B, I know you're hurting. He DM'd me tonight and he he was he was hurting about the Cavs getting knocked out. But the Cavs have one hell of a bright future. Um, it's an exciting time to be a Cavs fan. This right now stings, but um, we'll talk about the Cavs a lot when we when we get beyond. So um, that's it for basketball for now. Let's talk about a couple other topics. I want to go over a couple of things real quick, um, and then I want to talk about ambulance. Um, first thing, this whole Kyler Murray thing. The reason I want to talk about this is because I hear about it constantly, you know, here in Arizona. Um, and the interesting thing to me is that I've been on this since the beginning. Again, I'm not an insider, but I said a while back, I tweeted this. I said that if Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime got extensions and Kyler Murray did not get an extension, that there was no chance that he would play this season. And we know what's happened with his agent asking for an extension and all the arguments. Oh, well, the you know only certain players get extensions after year three instead of year four. And a lot of the year three extensions haven't worked and blah, blah, blah. blah. I understand all of that stuff. Kyler Murray has been run into the ground and injured for three years with the Cardinals. Now, they haven't necessarily overrun him. They haven't necessarily done anything wrong or handled anything incorrectly. It is just a fact that he's been injured three years in a row. Kyler Murray needs to get paid. Okay? He doesn't have forever in this league. He is a smaller dude. He does not have forever in this league. And he needs to get paid right now. And I said it before. If you extend Kime and you extend Kingsbury, you have to extend this kid. I said that. I was 100% correct because it's now coming out that he's not going to play on this $5 million this year. It's not worth it to him. Think about this for a minute. You're Kyler Murray, right? And the Cardinals have run you into the ground three years in a row. And now they want you to play for $5 million instead of giving you, you know, the big-time extension. Does Kyler deserve all the money in the world? Not necessarily. I think he's proven that he's a starter in this league. I think he's a very good player. I think he's, I think he can be an elite quarterback. Um, but injuries are a problem, and he needs that money locked in and guaranteed. And for Kyler, it's like, you know, I'm not going to come in and, you know, play this game where, you know, there's more, you know, there's, there's, he could theoretically go play baseball. Now it would take him forever to get to free agency because of the way baseball system works and he hasn't played in years and blah, 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 blah. But just if you're Kyler Murray in your mind, that's what you're thinking. Like, I'm not doing this when I could be doing something else. And maybe he can't do it at this point. But the point is how he and his agent view this is you guys drafted me number one overall. You said I'm the face of the franchise. Now you've given the coach and the GM extensions and you've said to them, you are the guys. Now you're saying to me, you're not the guy because, you know, we're not sure yet, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's not going to work. And I understand all the arguments people are making about, well, only Mahomes and Allen really got extensions after the third year and they're the best and blah, 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 blah. I understand all of those things. I really do. But Kingsbury is literally completely tied to, to Kyler. Those two are, are tied and Cliff and Steve Kime. If, if Cliff gets fired at any point, Steve Kime has got to be going with him at that point. I, I don't know what, you know, information Kime must have on Bidwell, but you know, those two guys are pretty much tied to the hip and Kyler's tied to Kingsbury. So they should all three, be tied together. Kyler Murray, it should be Murray, Kingsbury, and Kime, Steve Kime, all these guys should just be tied together. Okay? And that means you've got to give Kyler Murray the extension. <laughs> and I understand part of the problem with the Cardinals is their owners don't have the deep pockets. And when you give a player guaranteed money, you've got to put, you know, money in escrow. And now, for example, um, you know, Deshaun Watson getting his full contract guaranteed, that's going to make guys want to negotiate for fully guaranteed contracts. And I think that they should. You know, players should be taking care of themselves. But the point is that Kyler's not playing this season for $5 million. It's not happening. Unless he's got a fully guaranteed extension locked in for, you know, next season. Maybe he'll, you know, play on this money if you give him a huge extension or whatever. But the point is he's not just playing without guarantees. 
and you've reached the point where you have to extend him or trade him. Okay? There's no scenario in which you can sit there and be like, well, we're going to kind of play both sides and see. We, we want to play out. This. He's not going to play. And you can sit there and say, well, we have him under contract and we're going to find him until that's how you want to go this route. Okay. You can make it worse. This is a PR disaster for the Cardinals and that's fine, but you have a simple solution. You pay him the contract. And if you don't want to do it, then you trade him. If the Cardinals simply can't afford to pay a massive guaranteed contract to a guy coming off, you know, his rookie scale deal, then just don't do it. Other teams in the league will pay a nice price for Kyler. Now, maybe right at this moment, you know, is not the best situation because we've already had a lot of quarterback movement, but you're the ones who waited. And in that case, the answer is extend Kyler Murray. But the whole, we're going to wait till next year, it's not going to happen that way. The Cardinals need to understand and accept what situation they're in, and they need to decide we have enough money to pay this guy or we don't. And that's literally it. And if you don't, trade him. Call Seattle. And I know you don't want to trade him in the division, but what are you going to do, man? If you don't think he's worth the money, call Seattle and let them overpay him. Call the Giants. See if they're ready to move on from Daniel Jones. Call the Dolphins. See if they're interested in moving on from Tua. There's a lot of situations you could figure out. There's a lot of situations. Maybe the Saints would be interested. Maybe Pittsburgh would be interested. There's a lot of situations out there. And if you're not going to pay the kid, if you don't believe in the kid, just move on. This is, this is the thing that drives me crazy is like, you, you're like, well, he has to prove to us, blah, 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 fuck you. You don't believe in the kid, move on from the kid. Let him go somewhere that actually believes in him and wants him around. That's an NFC problem. One other thing I wanted to say, dude, this is like the best AFC ever, right? This has got to be like the best AFC of all time. I mean, every single team, you know, you got now Stefan Gilmore going to the Colts today. The Colts are really good. The Chiefs are really good. The Raiders are really good. We know the Broncos are going to be really good. I mean, there's just so many fucking teams. The Chargers, the Bills. I mean, the Dolphins have taken, you know, major steps forward. Um, the Jets still suck, obviously. Um, the Patriots could be better. Um, the, the Browns now. Uh, we know about, you know, the Ravens. Who knows what to expect from the Steelers at this point, really. But the point is, the AFC is a murderer's row. There are very few teams in the AFC that aren't good. You know, the 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 Texans aren't good. You know, that, that's one. The Jaguars probably aren't going to be good, but they'll probably be better than they were last year. I mean, it would honestly be hard not to be. The Titans are really good, right? I mean, there are just so many teams... I mean, the entire AFC West is the best division of all time. The Chiefs, Raiders, the Chargers, and the Broncos, I mean, that division is is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I never thought I'd live to see a day where the Steelers might be one of the worst teams in the AFC, but that's kind of where we're at right now. The AFC is so good. Almost every team is good. And the NFC, it's the Rams and the Bucks. Maybe the Packers, too. It's wide open for Tommy to get back to that Super Bowl. But I'll tell you what, this is going to be one hell of a season in the AFC. We're going to look back on this season in the AFC and say, that is one fucking collection of talent. Because it really truly is. I don't think that, I mean, I'd have to really sit there and go back. But typically every year, there's a couple of really good teams. In, you know, each conference, there's like, you know, what, three, four contenders, real contenders. But I mean... In the AFC, there's basically more contenders. There are more Super Bowl contenders than there are mid-tier teams or even bad teams in the AFC. The AFC has like 10 legitimate people that could talk themselves into, I'm a Super Bowl contender. It's, it's, it's absolutely nuts. It is awesome. And it's going to be a really great season. But my God, it's fucking crazy. And we will look back on this season. And, you know, I'm sure there were years that, you know, the... There were the years, the, the the Andrew Luck Colts, the Peyton Manning Broncos, the Tom Brady Patriots. You know, those are three really great teams. But, again, just the number of teams in the AFC who have a great quarterback, a solid coach, really good players around them. 
and we've never seen it. And it may be time to expand in the NFL. I know that we reached a point where we probably thought there would be no more expansion and anything like that. But truthfully, there's so much talent in the NFL at this point. It might be time to dilute it a little bit. Now, I mean, that's still difficult in terms of quarterbacks. Obviously, we still probably don't have 32 really great starting quarterbacks. But, I mean, you know, every year you're producing great new uh, wide receivers now. You know, you're just producing so much talent that we should open up more jobs for these kids. We really should. I'd like to see the NFL do that. Not at taxpayer expense. Use stadiums that already exist or pay for them yourselves, billionaires. And now, finally, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the movie Ambulance. If you don't want to hear any spoilers, go ahead and shut the podcast off. This was the Blood Doctor Show. Peace to you. And now let's go ahead and talk about Ambulance. So uh, I went and saw this movie with a friend. I know I'm a little bit late, but I just wanted to talk about it because it was a pretty classic kind of Michael Bay film. And the interesting thing about Michael Bay at this point is, you know, he is who he is. You know, it's not going to change. It's not going to, you know, get any better or any worse. It's just going to be what it is. The film was, you know, tirelessly entertaining. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal gives one hell of a performance. And, you know, that was honestly the reason I really wanted to see the movie was how crazy Gyllenhaal looked in the trailer. And let me tell you something, he lives up to it in the movie. And not only that, but Isa Gonzalez and uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II also gave badass performances. Honestly, this movie was just really fantastic, like in terms of acting. Um, It was cast really well. And so while you think of, you know, Michael Bay movies as not movies that have a lot of, um, you know, character development and uh, plot, (laughs) um, you know, this movie really kind of hit the nose on the head. And uh, Isa Gonzalez was also awesome in Baby Driver. Um, so she was kind of the perfect, you know, person for this role. I will say Keith actually pointed out, I saw the movie with Keith. What up Keith? Uh, and I agreed with him. They did seem to focus on a lot of shots of her ass and I'm not trying to complain about whatever, but we have definitely heard complaints from like Megan Fox about Michael Bay objectifying women on set and stuff like that. And I did it sometimes. It almost made me uncomfortable. Like I felt like I don't need to see her ass in every single shot. Like it was just a little bit of a, um, I, I said to Keith, like I did the time. I was like, it's not an only fan set. It's not a porn shoot. You know, you, you, you don't need to make her feel like a piece of ass at all times. And some of the scenes felt just very, you know, and again, I'm not trying to objectify or shame her. I just feel like Michael Bay has had a problem historically where, I've got a woman on screen, need to make her a piece of ass. And I think that that is something that he still needs to grow out of. Um, Now, granted, she's not really in any clothes that seem inappropriate or anything like that in this film. She's really a badass. She's a great character. She plays the character really well. Um, This movie is honestly more about Isa Gonzalez than anyone else. It's really kind of more her movie. Um, It's a bit of an ensemble cast with the three, you know, uh, Yaya Gyllenhaal and, and her but it, it's just overall a really good film um, in terms of just enjoyment it's not like a cinema classic it's not something that you're going to watch you know 20 times and it's going to make you cry and you know you're oh this was taught me a lesson you know it's an action packed insane thriller with you know lots of gunshots and explosions and it's classic Michael Bay shit um, the thing for me though is Jake Gyllenhaal like he just plays the crazy guy so well and, you know, seeing him get to kind of flex and play that sort of insane character, it's interesting because it's very opposite of a movie like Nightcrawler, where Nightcrawler, he was also this, you know, sort of psychotic murderer, but um, he did it in a controlled way, right? Where everything that he was doing, he didn't kill nearly as many people in Nightcrawler, but the point is that everything he did was controlled and planned and thought out. And in this movie, you know, there's a lot of, you know, just high stakes, last minute, quick decisions. Um, and he's still playing a crazy person with that edge. And it's just, it's phenomenal. Again, all the acting is awesome. The ending was disappointing. Um, I wasn't really happy with the ending. Um, but all of the performances were really good. And it's just an entertaining film throughout. It's one of those things where if you want to just go to a movie and not think too much and just enjoy yourself for a couple of hours and then go to dinner and talk about it, it's the perfect move for that. But if you're looking for, you know, the 
the the, the depths of the depths of acting of you know some you know the true love story obviously this is not it it's just classic michael bay but what i like about this movie above the other ones is that there are there's a connection between uh, the brothers and you know they almost basically refuse to leave each other's side no matter how much it will damage them to a fault and and you know it, how much it costs their lives and it's just an interesting look at what you know personal relationships are but then there's also like a cartoonish misunderstanding of how the justice system works with you know Michael Bay like you know trying to act like you know stealing a ambulance and shooting a cop and kidnapping the uh, an EMT and all these things wouldn't land you in jail even if they all were like oh but he helped us there were some super sick sequences there's a, you know, a huge part of the movie is when the EMT is performing surgery on a cop who was shot by uh, uh, Yaya um, Mateen. Um, and they're like performing surgery in an ambulance going 60 miles an hour. And it's an EMT, not even a surgeon. Like, just the premise was insane. And it was very good it was very fun I mean it's you know it's like a solid B B minus maybe like C plus I don't know it's, like, it's a good movie like it's fun it's not you know anything to write home about but it's worth seeing and it's one of those things that you know is better in a theater because there is so much action so much you know kind of explosive um, uh, well explosions in general but overall a decent movie worth seeing um it's one of those things where it's like if you kind of just stop thinking about it for a minute and you just watch the actors do their thing, you'll enjoy it. And that's the Blunt Doctor Show. Let's go enjoy these NBA playoffs. I've got my picks on the record. I'll see you here in a couple of days. Peace to you and yours. Make 2022 beautiful.